The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise in banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. No mai, hooky mai, and uh, welcome to a When the Facts Change partner episode. My name is Duncan Grieve. I am the CEO of the Spinoff Group, and I'm speaking today to the CEO of Kiwi Bank, Steve Yukovic. Steve is, I think, a, one of the more interesting people running any kind of large entity in New Zealand at the moment. He comes off a dairy farm. He's a, a lifelong banker. He's a Pakeha man, um, and and you would sort of look at that profile and say, okay, potentially a, a you know a relatively conservative person. But what he's done since taking over the bank in 2018 is really taking it on a on a journey which is quite significant by by any kind of large corporate standards. And you really see the zenith of of this big joined up body of work in what they're calling the sustainability report. Kiwi Bank has recently become a B Corp, which is a type of highly scrutinized corporation that that it aims to balance purpose and profit. And it really is a process to become that, uh, become one of those. You know, there's a lot of, of auditing and accreditation goes on, particularly when you're at Kiwi Bank scale. They have a Rotaki Māori policy, they are rainbow tick accredited, they've got pretty firm uh, commitments around who they will and won't lend to. And there's a lot more besides. And that's really the the sort of subject of this conversation today is, you know, looking at this whole body of work, looking at its motives and and sort of seeing whether it, it is just a kind of a whole bunch of sort of trendy corporate buzzwords or whether it's something deeper than that. And I would challenge anyone listening to this not to believe him. You know, I, I think... The, the level of engagement there is not just that there's a little kind of corporate affairs unit that's gone up and, and sort of whistled this stuff up. But this, this is something that, that clearly is of, of huge meaning to the whole of the organization. And where we ultimately lead to is that it is also improving its profitability, that it is actually becoming part of the sort of mandatories of business. But I, I still think that Kiwi Bank is actually ahead of the game on that. So... Anyway, we'll uh, we'll let you get into it. This is Steve Yekovich, uh, CEO of Kiwi Bank, on When the Facts Change. Kia ora, Steve, and uh, welcome to When the Facts Change. It's it's great to have you here. Kia ora, it's great to be here. Thanks. Um, I wondered if you know I've just been absorbing the sustainability report, and and I don't know what I thought it was going to be going in, but I didn't realise just quite an enormous body of work that it, it actually entails uh, for any organization, but particularly for a bank, which is which is big, but also not as big as the, the really big banks. And I wondered, you know, for, for someone like yourself who's, who's uh, been in this uh, profession a while and will have noticed, you know, that the, the, these threads that are in it are ultimately sort of 
big society-wide changes that are, that are manifesting in your organization. And, and we'll get into the weeds of those shortly. But I wonder what a, a young Steve Yurkovich would have thought about this report and what it contains. Yeah, well, look, it's a, it's a really great question, actually. Um, I don't think a younger Steve, when he kicked off in banking at... You know, like I, I, I first joined one of the other banks in, a long time ago in 1998. Um, if I think back to even Steve then, I don't think I really had a feel for how important uh, a sense of belonging, a strong purpose, um, how you can balance profit and purpose. You know, I think that was a different era. Uh, I think, you know, performance was really valued I think we were um, trying to do our best in customer service, those sorts of things. But, you know, to be honest, Duncan, I'd say now those are kind of lower order things compared to the, the stuff that you're raising now. And and I think probably, actually at the time, one of the one of the really influential business leaders that worked at ASB, where I was at the time, um, Hugh Burrow, who's sadly passed on, but was just an amazing leader, he had this sort of catch cry that was keep your life in balance. And, you know, it was sort of about, you know, it was a it was a 1999 version of well-being. But, he, you know, he was a guy that um, had negotiated extra leave and he always used to take it. You know, he's a super high energy leader. And um, but he always would talk about keep your life in balance. And so I reckon later on with my own kids, you know, my oldest daughter's uh, 21. She's been a vegan. She's a very staunch vegetarian. Um She's, you know, she's had a lot of conversations around the dinner table about the way things should be and how she feels about it. You know, my youngest daughter's sort of taken after her quite strongly. Um, so, yeah, look, I think the world's changed, hasn't it? And I think the challenge is to try and strike that right balance. Um, you know, is it okay to thrive? Is it okay to be more sustainable? Is it okay to, you know, get a fair return for customers? You know, those are, those are all great questions. And I, and I think the answer is yes, but it is a balancing act. So I want to sort of go through some of the the pillars of this um, in turn, and then sort of zoom out again and, and talk about uh, how that impacts the bank and and you know the fact that the the bank has chosen to to play this role for its people, for its customers, and, and for society. Uh, the 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 first part, or or the, the newest in some respects, is the is becoming a B Corp, which. You know, I don't think it's necessarily all that widely known or understood, but certainly feels like it, it kind of wraps up a whole lot of what you've just been talking about in a way or, or, or you know, holds you to a particular set of standards. Do you want to just tell us what it means and, and why you felt like that was the right choice for Kiwi Bank? Look, I mean, like many things, I think, that come along in your life, there's no one real reason. So, I mean, for me, um, our chair... Um, John Hartley, um, on behalf of, you know, our holding company at Kiwi Group Holdings, which is New Zealand Super, New Zealand Post and, and ACC, every one of those organisations has taken a strong position on ESG. Um, you know, the, the clearest signal I can sort of give you is that, you know, once a year I get a letter of expectations for the bank from our owners and it's really, really clear where ESG stands in that hierarchy of, of things. Um, and so, you know, on the one hand, you know, as the chief executive, I'm always pretty interested in what the owners want, whether it be, you know, publicly listed or not. And New Zealand Super and others have taken, you know, really clear, ACC taken a really clear stance, but actually New Zealand Post was the main holder of our reporting 
up until 2018, you know, before we started to transition to doing our own stuff. And so all three companies really believe in that. Our chair has got a really strong passion for the environment. Um, and one of the things we do in our regular catch-ups is, you know, he will talk about what's on his mind, what's interesting, just like every other chair. Um, <laughs> but he pushed my way a book about the story of Patagonia. And, in, you know, Patagonia is obviously one of the really well-understood and, and best-known businesses in the world, but obviously a very staunch supporter of B Corp. So, you know, the, the real heart of that book is about balancing profit and purpose. And we spent a lot of time talking to our team. Um, you know, more than 2,000 people participated in a conversation in a, in, a, in a business that's got, you know, sort of 2,300 people around, hey, we really love KiwiBank's purpose, Kiwi making Kiwi better off, but what does it mean? You know, what are the goals? What are the things that we're trying to achieve? And that led to the work around the, the purpose pillars, and so we spoke to um, an amazing lady, uh, Jenny McLaughlin, who at the time was in EY in Australia but now gone out on her own. And actually she started saying, well, you know, have a look at these businesses that are participating in B Corp. You know, B Corp is kind of the highest standard of performance around ESG. And so then it became a little bit like, okay, well, that sort of makes sense. And then I had the Patagonia story, my conversations with the owners and the chair, you know, what our own people were saying, well, look, give us some clarity about what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, just don't talk about it, show me. And, you know, if you think about banking in the last 10 years, it's been show me, don't tell me. And so all of those sort of things come together. And then we started to look into the B Corp work. And like most things, um, some really passionate individuals inside the organisation, you know, really led the charge and they really embraced and, and really got across to our board, the ownership holding company, you know, our team, what undertaking B Corp accreditation would involve and why it would be really important to us. Um, and, and ultimately it came down to that point that, that, you know, that we're talking about, which is, you know, well, in the, in the rainbow uh, tick, we, you know, we measure ourselves against accreditation, on fair pay, on all sorts of things. We, we seek an external standard to validate what we're doing, and maybe it just points out to some shortcomings, and, and that's part and parcel of what you get into. But as we took the work on with B Corp, it became really clear that there was a real energy inside the organisation to work out how we could make that work and, and you know, what was the standards that were going to, you know, hold us to account around ESG. And so at the heart of it is this kind of idea of balancing profit and purpose. And I think, you know, particularly in banking, most people are okay with a bank making a fair return because they recognise that that return has to hold you through the good and the bad times. And, you know, now is a current, you know, classic example of it. Um, but also I think people are increasingly sceptical of what people might say. You know, there's a, a real feeling around is there greenwashing going on and those sorts of things. So, you know, B Corp is an independent assurance. You know, we do that in many, many other places in our business around, you know, our disclosure statements, our financials, our external audit. We seek independent assurance. And so it sort of struck me, which is it would be weird if we – said we were going down this direction and didn't seek independent insurance. So I know that doesn't sound very glamorous, but it sort of is, that's the way we measure everything, so why would we step away from it? Now, the challenges with B Corp is, um, you know, and, and these are all really legitimate questions, is if you undertake the accreditation and you're not successful, what does that mean? What would the impact be? Um, you know, B Corp has a rising standard of expectations, you know, but then so does every one of our customers, so does society, so does, you know, emission standards and those sorts of things. So I, I think the fact that they 
have a rising bar is actually a pretty good thing. Um, but, you know, logical questions are, okay, what happens if in a few years' time you can't make it? Well, actually, we'll have to face into that, you know. We'll have to face into that reality, you know. But it's also a really good incentive to not get yourself in that space. So, yeah, look, I think it's a, it is a bit of a game changer to be a bank that can do it. I think also, you know, it, br- it brings into question a whole lot of really important questions, Duncan. I'm sure, you know, that you guys are covering these as well as, you know, there's a lot of coverage in Australia in the last couple of days around what's the right level of transition. And so if you're a large bank with large emitters as customers, what support are you going to offer them to transition from their current state to the future state? And, you know, you can see in NAB's results yesterday, uh, Ross McEwen, their CE, you know, he's facing into that conversation, which is there will be people in Australia and in New Zealand who think any further support of a large emitter is absolutely the wrong thing. And then there are other people who say, well, you've got to help businesses transition and no one wants the lights to go out, so you've got to do something in between. Uh, and then there's those that, you know, perhaps want to be willfully blind to it and just keep on lending. And so, you know, it's a really, really interesting situation and a bit of a wicked problem. Um, but Kiwi Bank is in a position, because of its existing customer base, because it doesn't participate in institutional banking or agri-banking, it means that, you know, we are in a position that I think stronger to go in this direction. So, you know, you're sort of taking advantage of the circumstances and the, and the whakapapa of Kiwi Bank, which is we haven't been a large lender to large emitters. And actually, we, we feel like perhaps we're on the right side of the change at the moment, um, but also recognise that, you know, all the banks in this part of the world are putting their toe in the water with sustainable loans and, and trying to help companies transition. I mean, that, that sort of lead, leads into one of the other um, pillars within the report in that, you know, th- responsible business banking and and you've you've acknowledged there that you you've got a, a little bit of a leg up there and that you don't have this legacy customer base of you know these more complex uh customers but there's still the the ongoing you know where do you draw the line in terms of monitoring your customers and when you are onboarding a customer how do you have a real sense of what their sort of Operations are, and how does that interconnect with you know the but you know the the sort of broader strokes of the sustainability report? Do you do you feel like you've got a handle on your, that yet, or is that something where you're you, you know that is a, a learning process for the whole of the organisation? Oh, I think it is a learning process. I mean, I think hence the reason we've got the sort of rising goals. But I mean, I think the first thing you do is you put a line in the sand and you say you don't want to make the problem worse. And I think. You know, the business banking policy was a really clear stance. And, you know, if you think back to, you know, Steve of 20 years ago, I don't think I would have been part and parcel of a policy that looked like that. What is the um, policy, and, just for, for, for our listeners? Okay, so the responsible business banking policy is essentially at its heart is about we don't want to bank customers who we believe do harm. And harm can manifest itself in a whole lot of different ways, but, you know, sometimes the, you know, large emitters and, and those sorts of things, and other times it might be, you know, preying on the vulnerable, it might be, you know, lending into areas where we're not sure people are really clear about the deal that they're doing or understanding the ramifications, you know. So that is, but at the heart of it, without, without overcomplicating it, is, is do no harm. And so that means that there are a bunch of customers and areas that we exclude ourselves from. And, you know, perhaps there's a customer or profitability cost to that, but that's one, you know, we're prepared to live with because we think it's the right thing. And so that's a sort of a line in the sand. But I think your point around it's evolving um, and people are getting a better understanding of that's you know that's why we chose that pillar because um, everyone can benefit from more understanding you know 
all of the kaimahi at um, all, all of our team at, at Kiwi Bank can um, learn more, understand more, you know, there will be better information uh, coming forward. And so, yeah, look, I think I think we've got a pretty clear steer on the on the big bigger picture, Duncan, but um, understanding how they're connected to other emissions, how they might feed into other industries. You know, we know um, from our research, but also from market feedback, there is a huge amount of um, businesses in Aotearoa that want to understand their footprint, but, you know, are just really busy. You know, many today, say in, in Auckland today, you know, re- as we speak, reopening for business, um, they've been just trying to keep their nose above the water. And so trying to understand, you know, what their manifested emission footprint is, is pretty tricky. And, and I think actually technology and startups and, and tech companies are going to be a big saviour here. And I think those are the sorts of companies that if we can work with, and I think we can help a hell of a lot of businesses understand, you know, what is their footprint and what can they do to try and adjust it. Are there any um, customers that you, of your existing customers that you've, you know, had to sort of test this against, you know, whether you know, a part company have a have a tough conversation with them? Yeah, there is. Um, and, I, you know, I won't go into naming individual customers, but yes, there is. And there's also been customers that have approached us because of the type of work we're doing. And, you know, there's this balancing act which they're saying, looks like you guys are on the right track. You know, we'd like to join you and we've been in a position where we've had to say, no, we wouldn't pursue that opportunity. There's others where... You know, we are saying, well, maybe we can't bank you, but we can point you in the right direction. And there's others that we understand you're on the right path and, and you know, you live and learn. And sometimes it's just about getting better information. You know, and we've had some hiccups on that front, which is, you know, we've had a particular view on some areas and then actually with better information from that customer, from that group of customers, they've helped us understand actually that it's a bit different to what we thought. And that's a classic example of living and learning, like you pointed out, which is, by no, by no stretch of the imagination do we think we've got all the answers. Absolutely. I mean, I think in, invariably these things are a lot more complex than a, a tweet might um, make, make them out <laughs> yeah. to be at times. Yeah. Another yeah. thing which has, which has really risen within you know, the, the bank over the past few years is its uh, Rotaki Māori strategy, um, of which Tehui Ako is a, is a big part. Do you want to tell me about what that involves and have you participated in it? Yeah, I have. And so um, that's been, you know, that's been one of the more really enjoyable things that the executive team has done collectively. Um, and we, uh, as you can see in the sustainability report, actually our chief risk officer is a kind of a classic example of um, she's a New Zealand citizen but was born in Australia. And we had this really interesting conversation when we talked about Kiwi making better, uh, Kiwi making Kiwi better off was, well, who is a Kiwi? And, you know, a lot of the research had shown that the idea of a modern New Zealand Aotearoa has really changed from sort of, you know, gumboots and buzzy bees to, you know, all birds and and um, rocket labs and, and things like that, you know. So a modern thriving New Zealand is quite different to, you know, what we might have traditionally thought of. But also people had who have made the choice to join New Zealand were actually some of the staunchest advocates of embracing Te Ao Māori because, and actually it's a classic example, one of our directors raised it as well, you know, he's an Australian who's become a New Zealand citizen as well and when we're having this discussion with the board, he was like, well, hold on, you know, in this room I'm one of the ones who made the most effort to be a New Zealander. You know, I had to give up, leave, join, come to this place because I wanted to embrace what New Zealand is. Um, you know, I'm all in. 
And so actually what we're finding is, you know, all sorts of people are, you know, really uh, interested, curious around te ao Māori and, you know, how it makes up the fabric of New Zealand. Um, learning the language has been, you know, really important, but just as important, I'd say, Duncan, has, has been some insights to the tikanga, you know, the, the habits, rituals, culture, you know, the things that are sort of tapu and noa and why they are. And so I think actually that's been, um, it's been really, really interesting. I think, um, again, te ao Māori and embracing those sorts of ideas is a classic example of balance, which is you don't need to lose your own personality to be interested in te ao Māori. You don't, you know, you don't have to, um, you know, have a, a strong whakapapa from a particular hapu or iwi to embrace the idea of what te ao Māori means for New Zealand. And, you know, sort of thinking about it in just recent times, right, one of our strongest and most vocal supporters of embracing and learning um, some te reo and te ao Māori um, was also a lead in celebrating Diwali. And, you know, that doesn't mean that she can only be this culture or that culture. We can all be a bit more of each other. And, you know, so I think that's been, you know, really interesting. I think that the take-up's been really strong. I think it's, it's sort of classic like Banker, the app and the technology is helping people embrace the language and, the you know, the learning uh, in a much more modern and vibrant, modern and vibrant way versus, you know, like Banker does, which is, you know, when I was at school, someone used to turn up with a savings book and say, you know, the banker man is here and he's going to tell you about money. Well, you know, that clearly isn't going to work. And banker um, as an offering, you know, I think there's 150,000 plus that we've helped uh, kids get through and, and use the banker capability. I think it's a classic example of partnering with people who are way better at than us to try and get that financial education in front of people. But do it in a way that's modern, do it in a way that's inclusive, do it in a way that's interesting because um, that helps you learn. And so, you know, I think those are kind of classic examples of the pillars coming to life, people understanding how they're easily consumable, you know, the apps on the phone. So if you've got five, ten minutes and you just want to pick off a little bit of learning, then you can do so. You know, it doesn't have to be in a classroom. It doesn't have to be a, a big, heavy burden. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the the banker partnership and, and you know, that, that pillar which is about providing financial education to tamariki. What, yeah. what, what, is, the, what, what is the motivation there? And, and then a sort of, I guess the, the, the other part that interests me is the, the, the way that that space is evolving and the, and the complexity that's coming there. But maybe just, just talk about the partnership initially and then we'll, we'll talk about some of that emerging complexity. Yeah, I mean, because we are a lot smaller than, you know, our, our big four competitors, you know, and, and, and recent financial results just amplify just how very large they are. Absolutely. We recognise that we can't do things on our own. And so... You know, banks haven't been very good partners would be my experience. They have sort of spoken about how they'd love to be partners. But, you know, if you're a business that's making one or two billion dollars a year, it's pretty easy to convince yourself that you can do most things. And, you know, when you're in our position, um, you have to think about it differently. And so when you think about how can you impact Tamariki and how can you make sure that, you know, 50,000 students will get banker high or primary um you know, how do you do that? Well, actually, you don't need to own the infrastructure. You don't need to build it yourself. You can just partner with people. And if you find the right partners, like we did in the Founders of Banker, um, you know you're in a really great position that if, if we can put a bit of fuel in the tank, you know, if we can amplify their offering through using our brand to support their partnership, then what we really care is about the impact. And the impact is, you know, more than 150,000 kids having a better idea about how money works. And, 
they do that in a you know modern, scalable way. They support the teachers who often perhaps are in a position as well where, you know, they didn't become a teacher to tell people about the economy and, you know, compounding interest and, and putting money away on dollar averaging and, and all those sorts of things. You know, that can be a bit daunting. And so, you know, banker sort of helps the teacher, helps the tamariki. Um, and for us, it's just, you know, it's a real... You know, I see it as one of the really great partnerships that um, the organisation's been able to achieve. And, you know, it's kicked off before I was here. And, but I, as you can probably feel in here, I'm an absolute card-carrying fan of Banker. Um, I mean, the reason for choosing Tamariki as well is um, often we would find in these situations that New Zealand households aren't that comfortable talking about money, aren't that comfortable about talking about things that even should be really easy to talk about, like, you know, why is KiwiSaver a good idea? Why is, you know, having some insurance against things that you don't happen, that you hope don't happen to you is a good idea? Um, why is, you know, paying down your credit card debt a good idea? All those things can be a bit hard to talk about if you don't feel that confident yourself. And so what we're really trying to do is, you know, we've seen some, you know, really great examples of, you know, kids bringing that conversation to the dinner table or into the home. And, you know, and sort of taking the edge off it. And, you know, kids have that sort of, you know, innate ability to sort of disarm and, and just sort of talk to the, you know, the facts rather than talk and beat around the bush a bit, I think. And so, you know, if they can talk about money in the house, then other people can feel more confident in talking about it. But also, hopefully, you know, probably the best way is to is to nourish those tamariki and they, hopefully they come into their adult life having a better idea around you know, putting some money aside for KiwiSaver is going to give you a better retirement that, you know, when you're 20 years of age, you've probably got a bit more risk appetite so you can be a bit more aggressive about what you want to invest in. Um, you know, how does, you know, buy now, pay later work, how to credit card debt work, all those things. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply.
So speaking of buy now, pay later, that that's a, a sort of a relatively emergent financial category that fundamentally isn't massively different from you know from Labor, which is the name of one of the firms associated with it. But that's really the sort of the the, the only the most kind of friendly public face of a whole suite of new kind of financial products out there. Uh, you know, from the likes of NFTs to the whole world of of crypto, which are sort of you know that they they seem to have exploded in popularity, particularly amongst younger people, and they are largely unregulated. The FMA has been kind of quick to say this is a problem, but also we can't deal with it. And you know, how does a, a sort of a more traditional institution like Kiwi Bank interact with with something like that? When you know, when it when it has this goal to kind of you know provide education to Tamariki, but this stuff is really really complex, but it's you can't ignore it. It's absolutely right there. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I think you've you've hit on a number of the really the ways that we think about it as well, which is, you know, the genie's out of the bottle, right? So you know, the afterpays, the layboys, and all these companies are, you know, they're massively um, high profile in terms of the financial markets and capital market support that they've got. You know, the acquisitions that are going on around them, the investments that have been made by you know very well known big large organisations, and so. You know, I, I think there's always been innovation in financial services, but it feels like, you know, in some parts of the world, open banking, and, we, and we're sort of lagging a bit here, but um, there's been an explosion of this sort of innovation, and and it, ultimately, this is just about options, right? So, you know, in a sense, a credit card is a buy now, pay later thing, right? So I think it's a bit rich for a, a bank or someone to look at that and say, oh, you know, that's, that's the Wild West, and I don't know why you'd allow that to happen, when ultimately, you know, we offer products that are, are pretty similar uh, in some areas. Um, you know, if I think about my close-to-home example, um, my oldest daughter and her friends, I don't think any of them have got a credit card that, I, that, I, that I'm aware of other than for sort of, you know, an emergency. So credit card for them is not a preferred method. But, you know, they're all actively using buy now, pay later. So, you know, you can see that there is a bunch of customers that, you know, and, and that have a preference for that type of thing. So, you know, that's that's clear that the, the market has spoken. Uh, retailers are embracing whatever their best path to market is. So retailers seem to be strongly supporting the buy now, pay later as well. And so, you know, on both sides of that deal, you've got demand. I think ultimately there will be more regulatory impulse, but probably I think, you know, as you see in some jurisdictions, the regulators take a bit of a light touch till they feel like there's, you know, there's momentum, and that they don't want to stifle things. Because if you, if you put the requirements of a bank on top of, you know, Duncan and Steve's startup, the only thing you can guarantee is we'll never start up. So you kind of got to let them grow and flourish um, a bit to have enough scale, but not so much that there could be a sort of systemic impact. So I think there's that. I think you know NFTs. Look, I'm really new to that. I've certainly been observing the NFT and things. Um, from the outside, but I'm by no way native in that space. But what sort of strikes me is, again, it's a sort of different version of scarcity. You know, I speak to friends that participate in that in crypto and and those markets, both, you know, offshore on the east coast of America and, and now back in New Zealand. You know, I'm old enough and I've been in banking long enough to have been on, you know, one of these trips to New York and sat down with a 17-year-old with no shoes on in an office in Manhattan as he explained cryptocurrency to me. And... I can remember leaving going, you know, sort of there was this flurry of thoughts like, 
have I just seen the future, which I kind of thought I had. Uh, you know, this was a kid who was writing, you know, military-style encryption at 11 years old, so I'd seen a sort of genius at work. I was a bit shocked as I was there in my pinstripe suit and he had his dirty bare feet on the desk. So I was kind of, I felt like a little bit of, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a, a reset around how I thought the world worked. And then, and then I can just remember feeling like, you know, parts of these thoughts in my mind, am I from the Flat Earth Society and have I seen the future? And also, you know, do I feel like the guy who's at, at Kodak who said, or Blockbuster, who said, oh, you know, that'll never happen, it's all good. And, you know, we have seen an explosion of crypto. I think NFT will be interesting to see how that works out. But there's some pretty high-profile names that are involved in it. Um, that doesn't guarantee success, of course, but, you know, it's a pretty interesting space. I mean, sort of speaking of the, the, the future sort of hurtling at you, you know, there's reference in the report to a rising, you know, to, to the escalating flood risk of your lending portfolio, which is, a, I guess, an, a different version of that um, challenge of, of, of clients that are, you know, involved in, in harm, quote unquote. Yep. To, to what extent is, is that a, is a, a, a present concern to your lending managers, uh, both in terms of you know managing the risk side of it, but also not wanting to incentivize behaviours which are effectively kind of part part of the the problem of of our current society. Yeah, I mean, uh, you sort of hit the nail on the head. Well, the first thing was up until reasonably recently, and, and kicking off the work in conjunction with Niwa and other parties, I don't think we were really confident that we knew what our exposure was. So that was a sort of starting position, right, to understand, you know, what is our current position, what is the current position around, you know, um, our customers. So that was, you know, that's been a quite a chunky piece of work. I'm hoping that the industry, you know, banking overall will land on a set of standards that allows us to all speak to the same language. I worry that every single bank in New Zealand is going to go away and do the same work and we'll all come back with something that's similar but not the same. Uh, so in my role as the chair of the... New Zealand Bankers Association through into early next year. I'm, I'm certainly keen to try and push towards getting a shared set of standards about how we talk about that. Um, it was really interesting, I mean, just in recent times as we engaged with Minister Shaw and others around this information, you know, he made a very good point and it's sort of stating the obvious, but I think it's worth repeating, which is, you know, New Zealand was built um, on the back of uh, a system which was, let's build a city next to a port or a river because that's the place where commerce and ships can come and people can interact. Unfortunately, building close to rivers uh, and the ocean is sort of, you know, means that you are more susceptible to floods and then you've got an infrastructure that's been neglected for decades. And so, you know, you've sort of got this concentration of cities being built closest to places that are prone to these sort of impacts and an infrastructure that hasn't been scaling to support, you know, urbanisation and those sorts of things. So, you know, there's a long-term, long-tail problem. Um, you know, one way to think about it is how are we managing the risk? Because, you know, if you come and see us today, you know, we'll give you a mortgage and, you know, we're probably not expecting you to pay that off for 25 years, say, for instance. Um, you know, none of us, I don't think, believe that on our current trajectory, the world will be in the same place in 25 years as it is today. And so then I don't think we're thinking about the risk very well. I don't think we're helping customers think about it that well. Um, so, yeah, I think we're on the start of that education, but I think it talks to that point that I made earlier, which is, 
I think we have to support the transition. You know, I don't think it makes sense to sort of, you know, abandon it and and leave it as the last woman, last man standing. I, I think you saw um, Tower New Zealand come out with different insurance pricing in the last couple of days, thinking around how they're going to treat flood. And I, I think Blair at Tower did a good job of explaining, which is, you know, this is an element of the risk um, and one that maybe specialist providers will be better placed to support. So I thought Blair has always made a lot of sense in that space. So I think that's where we're at, but I think we're really at the start of it. I think the other thing you, you recognise is that you know, globally, lots of people have said, you know, we've got more work to do. Well, we actually need to do the work. Um, and so for us, it's going to be, you know, trying to get those shared standards, trying to get a shared understanding of the risks and challenges, help customers make informed choices, you know, make uh, decisions that support the bank's risk appetite in this area and help people transition over, you know, what's probably going to be a 10 or 15-year time frame. So if you look at the, the report overall, yeah, it's it's a huge, huge lot of, of mahi, and it it feels very joined up. Do you ever, you know, when you're sort of going through this and and kind of talking about it with staff, talking about it with customers, uh, you know, with with your executive, with your board, find people who might not be on board with the whole the whole piece of it, and you know, or, or uh, you know, who are passionate about one area but don't see the other one as a, another part of it as something that is a bank's business necessarily. And what do you say to them when you when you encounter those kind of situations, which feels inevitable given the, the, yeah. the total quantum of change? Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, as human beings, we don't feel equally passionate about everything in our lives, right? That's why it's called a passion. So there'll be something that we feel really strongly about. And, and, so how do we embrace the fact that I might think the single most important thing that Kiwi Bank can do would to be lifting our cultural competence in, say, Te Ao Māori? And, you know, the next person I speak to, she might say, look, this is all about sustainability and our climate footprint, you know? So, yeah, it's a very fair point. Um, what I try and describe is a sort of a, a triangle of things operating, and I think that hopefully this comes across in the report, right, which is at the sort of apex of the triangle is purpose, and purpose, you know, in a lot of ways serves as that sort of North Star. But, you know, I talk about purpose and, you know, there's, there's the three pillars there, which is Tamariki, you know, Kiwi being better off and Aotearoa being better off. And so that purpose should guide us. At, the say, the bottom left-hand corner of the triangle is culture. So, you know, how do we have an inclusive culture? How do we have a culture where people feel safe and they belong? How do we embrace the things that are unique about Aotearoa, like, you know, Rautaki Māori and Te Ao Māori and things like that? But, you know, how do we create an organisation where I can still be myself, but I can also belong? You know, we don't all have to be the same and we're not all the same, but I can still belong, I can still feel part of a team. And then on the other corner, you've got the sustainability. And so, you know, B Corp, tackling the climate, um, our footprint, our emissions and those things. And so I sort of say, you know, triangles are so strong because they balance things, you know. And actually, if we can keep those three corners in balance and, and work them through, then we've got, a, I think, a reasonable way to think about that. Uh, embrace the fact that some people will feel really strongly about we should only care about purpose or we should only care about culture or we should only care about sustainability. But use that as a vehicle to try and get the conversation going, well, you know, surely you're not saying that sustainability isn't important just because you think culture is. And I think, Duncan, if you can get away from a trade-off which is all about ores, 
oh, you know, we can be all about purpose or we can be all about profit or we can all about culture, all about sustainability to an end and balancing those things, um, then I think we're in a stronger place. And so I haven't had many conversations where people aren't at least prepared to engage with the fact that it is a balancing act. You know, the way that I try and push things if I have to is, you know, is it really a trade-off to, you know, feel strongly that Diwali is a great celebration, but also understand that Tel Māori is important. You know, that, that's not a trade-off, right? I can do both of those things. Can I be born in Australia and feel like I'm a New Zealander? Yeah, of course I can. You know, can I balance profit and purpose? Well, yes, I can. Um, and actually, we think we're going to be on the right change of the right side of customer and demand. So being more purpose orientated, being B Corp, I don't think will impact our performance. I think it will over the medium term improve it. And so, you know, that's the sort of conversation that I try and have, which is, you know, we wanted to make a long-term commitment. We wanted to hold ourselves to account. We wanted some independent assurance on it. We think it's a balancing act, but we mean that in the best way. I mean, we haven't even spoken about, you know, social cohesion or, you know, is, is New Zealand today more divided than it's been for a long time? Yeah, I, I suspect, I feel like it is. So how do we, you know, get away from a, you know, vax or not vax, mandate or not mandate conversation to is there room for everyone's views and how can we have a grown-up conversation? You know, can we disagree without being disagreeable? You know, those are things where I think, it. you know, if you want to belong, it has to be safe to have a conversation like that. And I sort of worry, you know, that that's, when you think about sustainability, you have to think about, you know, sustainable, thriving New Zealand where people can belong and it's safe to have different views and but also people are sensible and are prepared to have informed conversations. So, yeah, I just feel like there's never been a more important time to sort of try and have a balanced conversation. Uh, no, I, I agree. I, I guess the thing that you, you touched on there that I think is a good way to sort of end this conversation in a way is we've been essentially talking about variations on purpose uh, the, this whole time. And yet what what you said there is that it, that it has to be a balance of purpose and profit, and and even more so that you know that with the way that the the world's value system is evolving, you won't get. While these are investments um, in the in the short term, that there are there are hard costs um, and and sort of soft costs involved. There is also a uh, a level of of future proofing and of trying to kind of uh, imagine what's over the horizon and. What are you seeing already and what do you think that you will see over time that will sort of essentially view this as an investment and and that that you you sort of defend and grow your profitability because you're you're caring about this? Yeah, I I mean I'll give you two sort of two examples. One when we launched the responsible business banking policy, I probably got through LinkedIn and personally because my email address is a reasonably easy one to guess is uh, I probably got 300, you're on the right tracks, and I probably got 30, you don't understand what you're doing, you know, we're not to blame, why don't you look in your own backyard type emails. But that's, you know, it was sort of a 10 to 1 type of feedback, and I'm not saying that's very scientific, but that's certainly what I received. And so I think there are many, many more people who believe that this is the right direction to move in than those that don't. And sometimes the ones that don't are, are anchored in a, in a situation, which is, you know, I'm off a dairy farm. I don't think um, any industry in New Zealand has done more to try and change their footprint than the agricultural industry, but they still get a hard time. And so I can, I feel like, you know, 
someone that's, you know, grandparents and parents came off a dairy farm, that I can, I understand what an important part agriculture plays for New Zealand and, and, and the amount of effort and, and money that's gone into trying to change things. But there'll still be people that feel that should be more be done. So there's, there's that sort of world. The, the, but the really recent example was when we issued um, our latest financial instruments, the AT1 capital instruments, without getting too technical about it, we had three large investors say to us that the B Corp accreditation was a really important consideration and whether they would bid for the offer or not. So there's a really tangible benefit from B Corp, which is, you know, so how it works for, you, for your listeners or viewers that don't, that, that don't follow it is, you know, there is a price to be paid for issuing these instruments. The fact that we were B Corp accredited meant that people were A, interested in us, B, we hadn't been blacklisted as a lender into Fossil or something else that, you know, the investment firms had blacklisted us against. So that meant we had more eligible people to invest in us. And ultimately, we offered our debt at a lower cost to us because there was more demand. And so, you know, the financial benefits of that are, are millions of dollars. So, you know, the work to do B Corp has already this year or over the five years that those bonds are out there possibly probably saved us, you know, two, three million dollars. And so, you know, when people say to me, this is greenwashing and there's no financial benefit, I can say, well, here's the three emails from these investors who are very, very large, globally, you know, relevant, well-known investors who said, you're on our green list because of B Corp. And, you know, if you're not on that list, then, you know, we can see, you know, some of the conversations around KiwiSavers and what they invest in, you know, that you guys have covered and others means that, you know, it's easy to get excluded. So I think, you know, that's a real tangible benefit of how purpose delivers on um, benefits for the business and benefits for the customer. Kelda. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a great point, and um, really appreciate you coming on when the facts change today, Steve. And good luck with all this. It's a whole lot of work, but it sounds like it's paying dividends for you. Hey, thanks for the time to chat. I really enjoyed it. When the facts change was brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit KiwiBank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.